Have you ever had one of those nights where your mind decides to work the night shift? You lie down to, to sleep in, in peace, and then it's like instead of that, a, a trash can's been kicked over in your mind and all of your unresolved thoughts spill out before you. Work problems, relationship problems, and financial problems, societal problems. Guessing you know what I mean when I talk about these nights. As you lie there uh, awake and, and restless, it, it might feel like a, a burning anger about something that's been said about you. It could be a very tightening of the chest as you realize all the things that you have to achieve tomorrow. Maybe when you lie down, it's, it's fear that, that grips you when you think about the news that you received earlier on that day. Last week, we, we looked at Psalm 3, and Psalm 3 is the traditional morning prayer um, of, of the people of God. And, and we looked at that prayer, and we looked at the reality of turmoil in our world. And some days is days that you wake up, and you wake up amidst turmoil and conflict and, and issues. Tonight, we turn to its sibling twin, Psalm 4, and we find in the traditional evening psalm that there are nights when this conflict and this turmoil are still there at the end. And so I wonder as we um, look tonight, what can we uh, be encouraged through Psalm 4 in these nights of turmoil when peace and sleep just don't seem to come? If you have your scriptures with you, if you turn to Psalm 4, our Bible app, if not, there will be um, some uh, verses come up on the and the screen behind us as well. The Psalm 4. In terms of the, the specific setting of the psalm, there's no real specifics that we're told. There's a couple of thoughts on it. Some would say that maybe the psalm was still written uh, as the conflict uh, with uh, Absalom was still going on. And uh, maybe this is still when David's uh, fleeing uh, from, from his son and that this is maybe still in, in, that con um, in that context. There's others that theorize and say, well, it could have actually been in a time of drought where the, the harvest uh, has failed. The grain and the, and the wine, it, it hasn't come. And, and in the ancient Near East, we're told that in those times, it was sort of the king was supposed to pray out to the sovereign. And, and if, the, um, if the rains didn't come and the, the prayer wasn't answered, there was a suggestion that, well, maybe... Uh, the king was out of standing with his God, wasn't good. And whatever the setting, though, we can see that in this psalm, David's been shamed. His honor has been dragged through the mud. There's conflict there. And clearly, it's one of those situations where if you got to the end of the day and you were running through this in your mind, you could imagine there being some restlessness. But if we go for a spoiler alert and we just turn and we go straight uh, to the end, we can take a look. And the psalm finishes, David says, in peace I will both lie down and sleep. And this seems surprising, doesn't it? So I wonder as we look at the psalm today and we ask ourselves in these nights of turmoil on our beds, how can praying through this traditional evening prayer, Psalm 4, bring encouragement and peace to us? We're going to see three things. We're going to look as we read our Psalm 4. Uh, the psalm 4 is going to help us remember God we'll see that it's going to remind us to trust God and it'll remind us 
to delight in God. But firstly, let's take a look at verses 1 to 3. We read them with you. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. So we see at the start of this night of turmoil when David lies down and prays. We're going to see that he remembers the Lord. We're going to see it in a couple of ways. The first one, he actually remembers to pray for him, to pray to him. I mean, here's this night, there's conflict all around. We looked last week. Sometimes you get the picture there, well, prayer, it's supposed to be about fluffy clouds and green fields and streams. And it's just not the reality. Prayer comes out from broken chaos, from fractured relationships and trials and struggles and imperfection. We can lie in our bed and we're struggling in the turmoil and the, just the restlessness of it. We take a moment to just remember we can call out and lay this before God and be honest about the issues at hand. And David does that. He remembers God and he prays to him. The second thing is David prays is that he prays in confidence. And the reason he prays with confidence is because he remembers the previous answers of God to his prayer. Take a look, he says, um, you have given me relief when I was in distress. You're so quick to forget, aren't we? The reality of the present things in front of us and the, the present turmoil and struggles. And they become much bigger because they're so close to us. And yet if we look back, the history of the people of God and the testimony that we see over and over again in Scripture is a God who acts, a God who saves and who redeems. He told, remember, I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And over and over, to remember, 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 fear not. And so David prays in confidence because he remembers those past answered prayers. So we lie on our beds, we can lie and just remember, go through our mind. This is a struggle, but Lord, I remember the time I was in a similar situation. You did come through. I remember your goodness. If you're struggling personally, we can go back through reading of Scripture and read about the incredible acts of this God who saves and redeems and cares and loves his people. Maybe it's an encouragement as well. In the, this text, there's a way it could be translated. There's almost this picture that is given is when I was being squeezed in, when I was in a tight space, you made room for me, God. Maybe if you're feeling that, that grip of fear or the, the tightness of the chest, is that picture, as you reflect on this psalm, that translation, maybe that's an encouragement to you. Remember, Lord, you have made space for me. You've answered prayers. So David remembers God, and he prays to him in confidence. We also see that he, he prays in confidence because he remembers the character of God, not just the God who acts, but what is the basis in which we actually approach God in prayer? He prays and he says, Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. 
He's praying to the God who is gracious and merciful. We don't come before the Lord and pray and say, well, based on how good I performed the tasks during this day, based on my own morality, Lord, will you answer my prayer? He's saying, be gracious. This is your character. Be merciful. Will you act in accordance with who you are, Lord? So he remembers and he prays in confidence because of the past actions and because of the character of God. You notice at the end of that section as well that where he says at the start, Lord, hear my prayer. As we get to the end of verse 3, as he's gone through his mind and he's been reflecting on his bed, he now can say, the Lord hears me when I call to him. Such is the confidence he's gained. So as we lie in our bed at night, awake and restless, and we wonder, well, how can Psalm 4 encourage me and bring peace? The first thing that we see is that we can remember who God is. The second thing that we'll see is, in this night of turmoil, as we pray through Psalm 4, it reminds us to trust in the Lord. It starts off a little different than that, though. It says, be angry, do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts and your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. It's funny I say that it starts off by saying, be angry. You don't expect that. It doesn't sound very Christian, does it? I mean, we brought us, oh, anger, oh, that's a bad thing, that's a sin. And yet, there are some days, and actually there are some things that justify us, we ought to be angry. We take a look at the things that have happened again in this week, let alone the week before, and we look around the world, we look around this country, and maybe you look into your own daily workplace experience. Maybe something that happened in your neighborhood, injustices, violence, evil, the school, maybe there's bullying, unfair grading, passed over for a job that your work may have been your eyes better than someone asked me, passed over, and there's injustice, and actually, we ought to be angry about this stuff. It's the righteousness of God, a just God. As we're angry, we're participating in His heart for justice and righteousness. So He starts off, and as He remembers, He is saying, He's honest, God, I'm angry. But we'll see a couple of things that we can learn about anger. And first he starts off, he says, be angry and do not sin. Anger, while you might have that, that righteous indignation, that it has its limits. And while we may take that, we're not to let it cause us to sin. We look what happens when anger then flows through into action. Violence begets violence. Hate begets hate carries on, it causes us to sin. We become just as dehuman as the person that's acting unjustly towards us. This is be silent as well. So much of our sin, isn't it, is through what we say, especially in our anger. And so anger, although it can be a part of showing a dissatisfaction with the way things are in the world, has its limits that is not to cause us to sin. Paul quotes that in Ephesians 4, and he takes it one step further, and he says, uh, be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And he's saying, hey, there's a time limit of this as well. Like when you go to bed, you can't just live your life continually angry. We've got to be able to put it down at some point. 
He's saying, put it down at the end of the night. And if we're honest about that, that that's difficult, isn't it? Especially when you've been wronged and you're lying there, and my goodness, and the thoughts of this, the hamster won't stop. It's going around in the brain, you just go over and over this internal conversation in your head of anger. What you would have said to that person, what you should have said, and it carries on. But Paul says, put a limit on it at the end of the day. And when I think about that and how hard it is, I think it's hard because if I want to lie down and go to sleep, cap my anger, it means I actually have to hand this injustice over to someone else. With this anger that I take, I have to say, it's sleep time. Day's gone, I can act on it during the day, but there's nothing more I can do right now. And there's actually an act of trust that comes by saying, Lord, you know my heart, you know what's going on, but I commit this to your care. Will you be just? Will you do right and do good? Trust you, Lord. It's tough. But it carries uh, on as we take a look at that. The psalmist continues. He says, offer right sacrifices. Put your trust in the Lord. So we're looking, who can I trust with this anger? Who can I trust with this injustice? He's saying, put your trust in the Lord. Well, I wonder why. And if we take a look as to why David can be so confident about putting his trust in the Lord, we see in verse 6, there are many who say, who will show us some good? That's what we want, isn't it? We want some good to come even amidst this evil and amidst the turmoil. We want good. We want things to be put right. Who will show us some good? David's saying it's the Lord. It's funny when you take a look, there's those many who are saying, show us some good. Remember last week in Psalm 3 in the morning, it was many who were saying there is no salvation for him in God. There's always other voices going around, aren't there? These alternate voices saying, well, you should look to there for good. You should look for there. God can't solve this situation. And here, the voices are saying, who will show us some good? And if we connect that back in verse 2, uh, David, as he writes, he says, How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Another translation might say, How long will you seek after other gods? We live in a world where we're completely bombarded with promises, don't we? You wake up in the morning, and you put the music on. And the song's being sung. And it's like, who'll show you some good? Do you know where good comes from? You know where you'll get peace and where you get safety and where you'll get rest? It'll come from having the right partner. If you can just have that right other person in your life, then good will come. So the song goes and the voice comes and many are saying, who will show us some good? You get in your car and you get to work and... You log onto your email account, and up in a panel beside of advertisement pops up an advert for a shirt. And the promise is, you know where some good will come from? You know where some peace and joy and satisfaction will come from? It'll come if you look the right way. Trust in that. Put your hope in that. Buy the shirt. Then you get to work, and you've got through your emails. You look around, and you start breathing in the competitive air of the office, the career goal 
everyone is striving and the goal is just, you've got to do better than that person. If you can just get to the next paycheck, the next promotion, then you will have safety and then you will have peace and then you will have joy. That is where good will come from. And we're bombarded with these other voices and we come and we say, seek after false gods. And if we're honest and we stop and we pause and we look at these things, if we take them on their own, it's never enough, is it? doesn't matter how many shirts you buy, how many pay increases that you get, it's just never enough. And it's never going to be because our whole economy is based on scarcity. There's not enough to go around, so you have to get yours just in case somebody gets your share because there's not enough. There's certainly not a God who lacks nothing, who looks after the birds of the air and the lilies of the field and is the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills and has enough and generously gives it. No, no, we, we live in a world that constricts that and it says the scarcity. So it's never enough. And if we reflect on Psalm 4, and we look, and maybe as we lie down in our bed in this turmoil, it's worth just doing a little bit of a self-check as well when we get to this point. David's turning to the other men of renown, and he's saying, don't worship false gods. And is the, is the cause of our anxiety and turmoil maybe something other than the Lord that's maybe taken a slightly higher place in our lives than it ought to? may not. So the second part, when we lie down and we read Psalm 4, we're encouraged to remember the Lord. We're encouraged to remember to trust in the Lord, not in false gods. The third thing is we're praying through, and if we reflect in Psalm 4 that we're going to see, is we remember to delight in the Lord. Let's read that together. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You notice here that it's God is the source of the joy, not the grain and the wine from the harvest. And we can imagine that situation. We could probably pretty easily put ourselves in the mindset. Here's an agrarian society. They need the harvest. It's their food. It's their drink. The rain doesn't come. There's great consequences. You could see why that might cause them some anxiety. We can be like that as well. There's something that actually is important to us. It does matter. But is the gift the source of the most joy or is the giver bringing the most joy and David when we take a look at this he says you have given me more joy you not the harvest and so they can if the harvest doesn't come it might cost them a lack of sleep they might look and be willing to go after false gods and seek others that would say but David is saying no no you bring me more joy than the greatest prosperity And again, we ask, you know, well, why David's confidence then? Because we can look at that, and it sounds good, doesn't it? And it sounds reasonable. Why is David so confident in his delight in the Lord? 
And it's here I think we, it's helpful to see Psalm 3 and Psalm 4 together, the morning psalm and the evening psalm. If we take a look in Psalm 3, David Preddy says, I lay down and slept. I awoke again, for the Lord sustained me. And here in Psalm 4 at night, he says, In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. He that in the morning the other day, people were asking, Is there any salvation for him in God? Or are the current circumstances greater than the reality of God to save? And he was certain in his sleep that God sustains him. And here at night, when things still aren't going well, and people are saying, who will bring us some good? And David is looking and saying, I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And we back up to the remembering, the character, the nature of God. Why is he so confident to put his trust because he knows the Lord and he delights in him. So we remember the Lord, we trust in the Lord, and we delight in him as we read through Psalm 4. But there's another part I want to take this look, just as we finish on verse 6. Lift up the light of your face Upon us, O Lord. It's the old priestly uh, blessing. Show us your favor. Grant us your mercy. Look and bless us, Lord. And Paul picks up on this in his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 4. He says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How do we ultimately remember God? How do we fully put our trust in Him? How do we delight in Him? We see the answer, the psalm points us forward to Christ. He was the one who was fully shamed and dishonored. He was the one who never turned to vain words and false gods. He was the one who didn't sin. He was the one who was the right sacrifice. He was also the one who endured a night of turmoil and restlessness in the garden. He was the one whose death and resurrection defeated the ultimate enemies of sin and death, securing true peace and true safety. It can be a challenge when you lie down at night and sleep just doesn't come. Ironically, I had the same thing last night. It's like, I'm preaching this passage. I should be able to get to sleep. It's hard. But I got in and looked. There's a couple of things that I think can be helpful. As this is a challenge to actually apply and meditate on, remember that it's some three in the morning, some four in the evening, in the morning and in the night. And remember that these are the prayers of the people of God throughout history. When we lie down at night, we remember that we're kneeling down not alone, not alone in our struggles, maybe our feelings of shame, our fear of the next day. We lie down with a history of people who have prayed this prayer with us. We stand with the church in time. 
Also notice as we, as we kneel down in the morning and the evening, if we live in a world where many are saying, many are saying other things, we're bombarded with messages, don't we want the first voice that we spend time with in the morning to be the same one we spend at the end of the day? So we start and we end our day living in the narrative of the gospel, growing in the reality of the God who enters, redeems, and saves, who does bring true joy, true safety, true salvation. Even then, I want to, to ground this even a little more. And as we do in struggles in the night, we lie down and we reflect on Psalm 4. I want to share with you the testimony of a, of a dear sister of ours here at Church of the Cross who wrote a reflection on this psalm as part of our, our daily reflections that are on the website. And, and I spoke with her and asked if she'd be okay with me sharing this with you. This is a, an example of how the, the psalm did bring comfort and peace and security in a, in a night of turmoil. So I leave you uh, with these words from her. Psalm 4 resonated with me today as I was thinking about the relief that I received from God during my most recent distress, being diagnosed with brain cancer. After my surgery, I was weak and not mentally clear. I felt like I was living outside my 26-year-old body. I pled with God for healing and strength, both mentally and physically, much like the psalmist is pleading for in verse 1. I like that the psalmist recognizes it's okay to be angry with God. Like the psalmist, I was angry. His medical event would set me back a year in my nursing studies. I could only see the negatives, having an extra year of school, more debt, and a later date starting my career as a nurse practitioner. But the psalmist reminds us, do not sin. Instead, he offers suggestions on how to deal with the anger, such as pondering on emotions, offering right sacrifices, trusting in the Lord, and remembering how he has given you joy. I began to use my new gift of time to reconnect with God. I reflected on his word and purpose for me, alone and in community, through my neighborhood group and in quad, Church of the Cross and Boston College, along with my friends and family, reminded me of the joys of community and friendship. Slowly but surely, these small actions have strengthened my trust in the Lord and have given me peace at the end of the day. I pray that if you're struggling with an issue, that this psalm may also guide your relationship with God. We trust in God for you alone, O Lord. Make us dwell in safety. Amen.